So if you have, because uh, I'm not guaranteeing this is going to work tonight, obviously. So in front of you, underneath the chairs, are Bibles. Uh, if you are part of our church and you have the church app, there's a Bible built into that. We're going to be in Philippians 1. Uh, well, you're turning to Philippians 1. Let me ask you this. Did everybody get a candle on the way in? Well, let me rephrase that. If you did not get a candle, can you just kind of slip your hand up? I know Isaiah's got some for you, and I'm just going to do it. Just if you will get this, and we've got one back here. Mark, will you tackle that? Because the candle part's kind of important, and uh, so we want that to work. Cool. So I don't know, and I don't pretend to know, where everybody is this evening. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, maybe this is the best year ever, maybe it's a challenging year. But as we get together tonight, I want to just recognize one thing, that no matter where we are, our faith and our hope come from Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to, to a church in, in Philippi. He writes it to them as they work through some of the struggles that they have. And at that point in Paul's life, he's in prison for the gospel. And so with that in mind, we're looking at this message of hope, this message of joy, this Christmas story that Paul tells to this church in the midst of their struggle. And so no matter where you are, again, whether you've, this is the best year, 2019 is the greatest year for you ever, fantastic. We hope that you're just as focused on Jesus as if this were the worst year ever. And we've been through a, a, a challenging season here in this church. We lost some loved ones recently. We've had some struggles. We, we know that when we arrive here tonight, we're not always in the greatest place. We did a season of videos. We didn't spent the last four weeks putting videos out on social media and YouTube and our website and just walking through the meaning of Christmas, Advent videos, um, breaking down the songs, all four songs that you just heard. Joe did little videos on just the meaning of those and some of the lines that we sing, and maybe we don't know all the words to those. And what are those songs about? And one of the videos we did was just talking about what about, what about those, what about the people around us that this, this time of year is a struggle, that this time of year is a hard time, not always a joyful time. And so we've just been focusing in on Jesus. And as, as crazy as that sounds, sometimes in the chaos, in the hurry, in the, in the work parties, in the family parties, in the gifts, in the the shopping and all the things that come together, sometimes in the name of Jesus, we entirely miss Jesus. Fair enough? And so tonight, we just slow down for a minute. And whether the tech works or it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And whether it all comes together like this seamless plan that we had, or it doesn't, that's okay. Just like you guys are preparing, maybe you're having people over, and sometimes as you're trying to prepare the greatest night, for all your friends and family, all your loved ones, sometimes it just doesn't come together. But at the end of it all, you know if you got together, if you made those memories with your loved ones, you know that that's what mattered, right? So let that be us tonight. So we're going to be in Philippians 1. I want to just kind of a starting point, the Christmas message. And so that obviously is not going to go up on the screen, so I'll quit looking. The birth of Christ is about healing a broken world. When everything around us is wrong, the message of Jesus reminds us that hope and joy are not found in gifts or meals, but in Christ's eternal peace. So if there's anything we take away from it tonight, that let us, let us, let us walk away knowing that when everything else around us is wrong, whether that be the community that we live in, the, the nation that is highly divided, all the things that are going on, but when everything is wrong, Jesus is still our hope and our joy and our peace. 
All right? Philippians chapter 1. I'm starting verse 18. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. That'll help. Uh, if not, we'll, we'll try and get the screens back up. Paul begins, he says this in verse 18 in the second half, and he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So here's Paul. He's, he's in the middle of writing. He's addressed the church in Philippi. He's writing to them, and he's writing them to, to them in the midst of their struggles. And he's writing from prison. He's literally writing from a cell in a prison and is on trial for his life. And so uh, imagine this is the perspective he is writing from. And so he opens up and he says, no matter what, I know that Jesus Christ is my deliverance. I know that in the end, the only thing that matters is Jesus. And so he's going to proceed to now try and encourage the church in Philippi and just remind them of what matters to them. So verse 20, it says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul says, listen, whether I live or I die, I have great encouragement and great hope. That as I focus on Christ, he says, it doesn't really matter what the outcome is around me, that my hope remains in Jesus if you're following along on our app, we've got the notes and a kind of a, and a button over, if you will. And uh, some of these notes that would normally be up, you can look at them. The second one would be finding hope in Christ. So Paul, from a prison cell on trial for his life, writes of eager expectation and hope in Jesus. He looks beyond the pain and the struggle, and he sees an eternal solution that Christ made possible by becoming human. So in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this struggle for Paul, as he looks at his circumstances, he could easily say, this is the worst time ever. I may not make it out of this prison cell. I'm on trial for my life, and I, I'm on trial actually for my faith. But when I look at that and, and I get all distraught, I remember that it's, it's Jesus that matters. And so Paul turns beyond his struggles, turns beyond his setting. He points outward beyond that, and he writes to this little church that's struggling. And he says, listen, I have great encouragement and hope because of Jesus. Verse 20, 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is some of the most famous words written in this, in this book, in this letter that he writes to this church. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whether I live, my reason for living is Jesus. And if I die, it only gets better. So Paul says, listen, no matter what, I have great encouragement and hope. Because if I continue to live, I have Jesus to live for. And if they take my life for my faith, to die is gain. You can't hurt me in this world, Paul says. I have more to look forward to. Verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. Let me pause there for a second. Paul is just wrestling. He says, really, if, if I had a choice, rather than continue to struggle, rather than continue to suffer in this prison cell, I'd rather just go and be with Jesus. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, so if I'm really honest with you, I struggle on which one I'd prefer. He says, if I stay here and I endure this, he says, I know I have a fruitful labor. I know that I have a ministry of serving Jesus that matters. But he's honest about his struggle. 
When life isn't everything I want it to be, I, I always love that when I turn to Scripture, it's filled with people that are honest and real. You don't turn there and open up pages of things, and these people have no problems, and it seems like everything just goes well for them. But the pages of scriptures are, are written by, yes, superintended by God, yes, given to us by God, but the, the pen that hit the paper are real people with real struggles and real challenges and real pain. And no matter where we are, as we turn to that, we recognize that, there's, that this is real life. And we gather together tonight, I'm guessing we're going to have a lot of fun The things that you're going to do will be great as you gather with your family and your friends and the gifts to give and the gifts that you get and the meals that you have will be amazing. But what if it's not? What if this year is just a tough year? Then the words that Paul writes begin to make sense. And so my challenge would be, if you're having a great year, is not to to hear that this is just for those who might not be having a great year. But in that setting, when things are all good, when things are all making sense, when things are all clicking, are we reliant on those things for our joy and for our peace? Or are we just as reliant on Jesus in those moments? Because what happens if those things are taken from you? What happens if those are not there? What happens if next year is a tougher year? So Paul writes from that perspective that to live is Christ, to die is gain, I struggle with my settings, but I know that either way, either way, Christ is why I go. Verse 24 says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He said, listen, I'm in this for you, that I want to give you this message. I want to remind you of my circumstances so that in your circumstances, you can be filled with joy. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul knows that they look to him as an example, that as he led them to faith, as he told them about Jesus, they look and they turn to him, and they look to see how does he handle the season of struggle? How do we experience joy? Christ joyfully entered into the daily struggles of this world because humanity needed a Savior. Paul finds joy in serving those same people as Christ did, even during his hardest days, because Jesus empowers him to see beyond his pain. Paul presses through and focuses in on Christ. Again, sometimes this season can be just so filled with many other things that that even getting here tonight, the traffic is heavier, that things are coming together, that there are things just like this, just as we struggle to figure out why the monitors won't work or why the sound isn't everything we wanted it to be. So goes the process of family and friends at Christmas. Sometimes these things are tougher, and this season that named after Christ, sometimes this season is the one where we miss Jesus the most. We're in the name of him. We shop, we give gifts, we eat, we hang out. We spend more time on the freeway or whatever traffic or whatever it might be. And the frustration and the things build up and we forget why we're doing what we're doing. Paul would remind us that no matter where we are, that Jesus is the reason that we, that we celebrate, that we have joy. Philippians 2, I'm going to uh, skip down to that chapter. Verse 1 says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He reminds them that there is comfort in the gospel. He reminds them that the love that brought Christ into the world is, is love that is shown to them. All right, it's working. Let's not bank up. I just want to just, all right, good. <laughs> then I can read the next note. Can you go to the next slide for me? Paul reminds the readers that there is encouragement and comfort in the gospel. Christmas teaches us that the creator of the universe loves us enough to send his own son to save us. Nothing heals more than the love of God. He says if there's any comfort in Christ, if there's, if there's anything that we take away from Jesus, he says it's this common love that we have. And he says this, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. He says, if there's anything that we take away from being in Christ, it's that we know that Jesus came because of God's love for us. He says, so let that drive you. Imitate that. Be lovers of others as you have been loved. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So if you're here tonight and you're like, why are we in Philippians? It's Christmas Eve. Like, should we not be in Luke chapter 2 talking about shepherds and angels and a baby in a manger? Well, here's Paul's Christmas story. Here's Paul's telling of how Jesus became flesh. He pauses and he reminds us that before Jesus was a child in a manger, that he was God in heaven. That before he was a savior born, a child, that he was the creator of the universe. And that because of that, he didn't, he didn't think that equality with God was what people needed to see, but rather he became flesh. See, the Luke 2 narrative begins with the story of angels telling Mary and John the Baptist family, hey, you guys are going to have these miraculous children, one who's going to be born to a woman who is well past childbearing age, and one to a young virgin. And that these two miraculous people, these children that are coming into the world, are going to bring a message from God. And that the first one, John the Baptist, is going to point the way to Jesus. And that Jesus will then come, and he will be the fulfillment of all the promises in Scripture. And that in that, he will point everyone back to God. And then we follow them around through the struggles and the trials that they have as Mary and Joseph have this child in a place of barely any recognition. We tell the Christmas story today, and it's this, it's this nativity scene. I set them up at home each year and remind ourselves of this story, but we've made it so cute and we've made it so traditional and so celebrated that we miss the fact that Jesus entered into earth in utter poverty and that his beginnings were so humble and so poor and so broken that the God who created everything put on flesh and became so low for us. You see, the Luke 2 narrative tells us the history of how it happened. But the Apostle Paul writes to us, and he wants to tell us what was taking place behind the scenes. When all this was going on, Paul said, here's what was really taking place. I'm going to read that again, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Paul's Christmas story is about a God who emptied himself out for humanity. A God who laid down everything. A creator of the universe who instead of being God on a throne, said, I'm going to put on flesh in utter obscurity and humility, and I'm going to be born in a, as a child. And I'm going to enter into humanity so that humanity can find their way back to God. As the most famous Passage probably in all scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him could be a child of God. That God would enter into our story, into our flesh, into human history. He did that to bring us back to God. Paul goes on in verse 8. He says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you can't really have a Christmas story and separate it from the Easter story. Right? If you, if you, come, if you attend church on holidays and, and you hear this story of, of the birth of Christ and we kind, of, we kind of separate that story into one story. And then maybe you come back around April and you catch Easter and you hear maybe Good Friday, the death of Christ, and, and Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. And especially if you just do kind of Christmas and Easter, you have these beginnings and endings of a story. But they're all one story for Jesus. They're all one purpose for Jesus. That God would become flesh so that we could see who God is, that we could learn who God is, that we could find our way back through our sin and through our pain and through our brokenness, that we could find our way back to God. And so we can't separate the Christmas story from the Easter story. Jesus was born to do that. See, the gospel is that God created you and loves you that he designed you and made you, that you weren't a random chance or an accident, but that you live because he created. And that because he created us, he has to tell us and teach us how to live. And the way we're to live, just as a a summary, is just to be worshipers of God. That means that what we do, not just like singing, we do that in church, but what we do, that everything we do would bring glory to God and not to ourselves. That's how God created us. Fast forward to today, and anything but that happens. It doesn't happen in leadership. It doesn't happen in our government. It doesn't happen in our homes. Rarely even happens in our churches, if we're honest. That we would only and always bring glory to God, but instead we often choose ourselves, and the Bible just calls that sin. Just simply choosing your way over God's way. And so sin separates us from God it's like sin in a marriage often causes a divide between people. Sin has, has separated us, has divided us from God. But God so loved the world. But the story doesn't end there. See, God didn't have to pursue a sinful and wayward humanity. God didn't have to chase after people that wanted to go their own way. But in love, God pursued. And in love, God became flesh. In love, Jesus was born for humanity that he could grow up and live the life that you and I are called to live, and that in our place he would die a death that we deserve and he did not, that he would be buried to show that even Jesus, had that he he would endure death. And just imagine this verse that Paul is saying, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Here's what Paul is saying. The creator of the universe, the God who exhaled and humanity had life, the God who spoke and there were stars in the sky, that God chose to die for you and for me. How that even takes place, I may never know. But Jesus entered into human flesh so he could die in our place. And that raising from the grave, that in his resurrection, he could give us new life. Paul says that he came to earth for this purpose. Paul says you can, if, if we could kind of summarize that, Paul just can't separate the Christmas story from the Easter story. So he reminds us that God became flesh and why God did so. Jesus was born a king. Let's read verse 9 first. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the songs we sang earlier was this song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And as Joe was picking out worship songs for for Christmas, and he was working through these videos for Advent, as he'd pick a song each week and say, you know, we're going to sing this song on Sunday. Here's what it means. And there's a line in that song that says, born and child, and yet a king. Paul reminds us that Jesus, yes, he was born in the flesh, but he was born to go through the cross and to ascend back to heaven to be the king of the universe. Jesus was born a king. Here's the note I want to read for you. Paul reminds us that Jesus is God in human flesh, a humble child born to be the king of heaven. Christmas is less about celebrating a child in a manger and more about proclaiming Jesus saving us from the pain of the world forever. I'm going to read that last line to you again. Christmas is less about celebrating a child in a manger and more about proclaiming Jesus saving us from the pain of the world forever. As we look at the nativity scene, as we go from house to house, as we do the things that we do, during this season, we seem to focus in on a child in a manger, and that's an incredibly important point to the story, that God became flesh, and that God did so in such a humble way, so that he could go through and endure all that life hands all of us. That he could endure the struggles, that he could grow up in poverty, that he, could, that he could be hungry and be lonely and be tired, that he could endure what we endure. But in that, that he would bring glory to God all the time. And that through that, he would become the perfect sacrifice for us. And on the other side of that sacrifice, that he would ascend back to heaven to a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Born a child and yet a king says, come thou long expected Jesus. Born in obscurity, but for the most pronounced and profound place. Verse 12 says this, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This Christmas, my challenge is just for you is, is how do we see Christ in Christmas? Do we miss him in the craziness and the chaos and the busyness? Do we, do we proclaim his name? Do we tell the story and yet miss being with the person, Jesus? Do we go from place to place, do thing to thing, and never remember truly that no matter where we are, great place or hard place, the Christ is the place that we can look, that Jesus is the one that we can look to no matter where we are in life. 
that the gospel reminds us that God loved us so much that he entered into our story. That's what we celebrate. But that he did so for a purpose and has ascended back to heaven, that he is a king today. That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that eternally we will worship Jesus. That's the Christmas story. And he did so not to make it a cool holiday or a cute story. He did so to reconcile broken people to a holy God. And he did so that no matter where we are in our deepest struggles or in our greatest joys, that he is our God, that he is our savior. Whether we're having a great year or a bad year, the message is the same. That Jesus is our focus. Paul says this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. No matter how we live, no matter where we live, no matter what we do as we live, to live needs to be Christ. And yes, in the end, to die is gain. But Jesus entered into human history for this one thing, that he could take us no matter where we are. Because if, again, if we're having a great year, another struggle will come. Another time will come. We live in a broken world. We're always in need. And that Jesus is there to meet us in those times. This season, this Christmas, it's Christmas Eve. As we go through these next 24 hours or so, can we pause and just remember that God entered into human flesh for us, that he did so to take away the pain and the brokenness of the world, that when we look around us and we live in the most amazing country on the planet, but our nation right now is highly divided, highly problematic, going through all kinds of craziness, that the world that we live in is broken, and that the things that we see around us aren't the way we would have them to be, and remind ourselves that that's why we celebrate Christmas. So that every year, every day, every week, every, every time we have opportunity that we can remind ourselves that Jesus came to right all those wrongs. And that eventually, whether it be when we die or, or, or when Jesus comes and just makes everything right, that it will be Christ that makes everything right and not the gifts that we give or the, the things that we do so that this Christmas might remind us, might remind us the purpose of Jesus, that he came to restore everything that's been broken. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that we get to gather tonight. That it's candlelight service, it, it, it's Christmas Eve, it's, it's a time where we have such joy. But we know there's still struggles in the world, whether they're ours or someone else's, whether we're enjoying them now or, or we will or we have. That Jesus, you came in to, re, to fix those things. And then in this body, in this life, in this flesh, we'll always have struggles and trials. But you're there to walk us with, through each one. That you have come to restore us to a holy God. And that the story does begin or at least we get to celebrate that part of it tonight with your birth into human flesh, that you became human, that you would enter in to be like us so that we could join you, that we could be with you, that we could grow with you, that we could be healed by you. Jesus, help us to see that tonight. Help us to see that tomorrow as we all wake up and remind ourselves of why we gather, of why we give gifts, because God loved us so much that he gave us the greatest gift, that he gave us his son, and that in his son we have life. 
So we pray these things in Jesus' name.